stronger than darkness, and new every morning. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Well, they say if that don't make you, that don't make you praise, and that don't get you on fire, your woods wet. Is that what they say. Isaiah chapter nine is where we're going to be at this morning. Chris has already read it for us, and so we're not going to um, we're not going to read it again. I would like to um, remind you that. We are talking about how we respond to darkness. There is um, darkness in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome this world. And so we are inevitably going to face darkness in our lives, in this world, in some way or another. There is no way of avoiding darkness of this world. And... We need to know as Christians how to respond to the darkness when it comes. What what direction do we take? um, uh, Where do we turn to? What do we do? Where do we go? And so this is what Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 is all about. It's about how we respond in the darkness. Now, Isaiah chapter 8 at the end of it, it leaves us in deep darkness. Um, You might remember he read in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 22, it says, They will look to the earth, but behold... All they're going to find on this earth is distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And I know we don't like to hear that this morning. I know a lot of us want to come here and you just want to be encouraged and you just want to be built up. And I, we're going to get there. We are. But we got to start off first with you understanding, and I don't think I have to convince you this morning that this world and our lives are full of darkness. And not just darkness, Thick darkness. And if you have not experienced it yet, hang on. Hang on. One day this world is going to throw darkness at you. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 8 that the reason why we experience this is because we do not want the authority of God on our lives. Every human being is born with a heart like this. We think we do. There are some of us that that, that actually think, well, yeah, I do want to follow God. But you just let... God disagree with one thing that you want to do. And you're going to learn real quick that you do not want the authority of God in your life. The truth of the matter is, all of us are born with this natural uh, rebellion to authority. Some of us more so than others. But nobody in here likes to be told what to do. Nobody in here likes to be corrected when you do something wrong, right? And so I'm talking to the same group of people, right? All of us are on the same page, all right? And because of this rejection of authority in our lives, especially the supreme authority, God Almighty, we don't want God's ways. Just look at the culture around you today. There's no question that we are a society that rebels against God and His ways. And our only hope is that we bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we surrender to Him. Because that's the only way, you know, there are so many um, times that today that we have turned the gospel around a little bit. And I understand the heart of it, but but we turn the gospel around to say today, well, I um, I want you to invite the Lord Jesus into your heart. And I want you to to receive the Lord Jesus into your life. And that's the way that we preach it, right? But let me explain something to you. The truth of the matter is, 
You don't invite Him in and you do not receive Him in. What you do is you surrender to His Lordship. When you go before a king, because that's exactly what Jesus is, the Bible says that if we will confess Him as what? And that word Lord translates in the Greek to kurios, or to the the Lord of lords, to the King of kings. In other words, when you confess Him as Lord, what you do to a king, you don't go to a king and say, I want to receive you into my heart. No, you come before the king, and what do you do before the king? You bow down, and you surrender, and you submit to His lordship, to His authority. And that's our only hope in our sinfulness, and our rejection of God Almighty, our only hope is that we see Jesus for who He is and that we receive His invitation to bow our knee to Him and to submit to Him and say, not our will, but Your will be done. Your your way is the best way. Your, your, Your Lordship is the best authority and there is no greater thing that I could do than to submit to Your authority. But because we reject that in our lives, the world is full of darkness. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that um, because we did not want God's ways in our hearts, because we did not want God's passions to be our passions, but we wanted our own lust and our own passions, and because we did not want to acknowledge God in our minds, The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that God has given us over to debased minds to do those things which are not fitting and should not be done. And so when you look around the world today, you want to know, well, why does God allow children to be sexually molested? Ain't that a good question? And, and, and why doesn't God stop murders from happening? Why doesn't God stop school shootings? And why does God, and why does God, and why does God... Let me explain something to you. God, because the world does not want His ways, His authority does not want His passions and His desires, God has given this world over to their own passions, to their own lusts and their own desires. And what you get to see is what a world looks like whenever God's authority is not in complete control, but instead every man does what is right in his own eyes. And you get to see that. And God allows that to take place in the hopes that you will see that this is what happens when you reject the authority of God. Darkness is what happens. And when you see this, the hopes is that you will see that He bids you to come back to Him under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. He pays the debt that you owe for your rejection of His authority, for your rejection of Him in entirety. He pays it all, He covers it all, and He promises that those who will trust in that by faith and bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord, He will save them. He will save you. But that is our only hope. And so the question we have to ask is, as Christians, not as the world, I'm not talking to the world this morning, I'm talking to people that have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus to pay for my rebellion and my rejection of God, and those that have bowed the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they have surrendered and submitted to Him and say, not my will, but Your will be done. Show me Your ways. Teach me Your path. Let me follow You. To those people I'm talking this morning, and Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 tells us how we respond to darkness. Very quickly, verse 1 and 2 tells us we follow the written Word. 
God gives us in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. We follow the written Word. God gives us a written Word where He reveals to us exactly what the direction is we should take, the, the guidance that we need, the encouragement that we need, the correction that we need. It's all there. If you want to see where that's at, go look at the last two weeks' messages, and I promise you, it's laid out. You can't deny it. But He gives us the written Word. The next thing He does for us is He gives us signs. He doesn't just expect us to just just believe blindly. No, He gives us signs. And He gave Isaiah signs and He gave Judah signs. He gave everybody He was written to signs and He's done the same thing for us. Go back and read the Gospel of John and look at all the signs that Jesus did for the purpose of you believing, to know that He is who He says He is and that you can and should believe on Him for your salvation. And next we learn in verses 5 through 10 of chapter 8 that we are to learn from the darkness. That's how you respond to it. You, you learn from it. And we learn that in this darkness we see that this is what rejection of God's authority looks like. And I do not want an eternity of rejection against God. I want an eternity of surrendering to the love of God, to the kindness of God. In darkness we're supposed to look at both the wrath of God And we're supposed to be able to look at Jesus and see the kindness of God. And which one do you want? Do you want God's wrath? Or do you want God's kindness? And He woos us to Him through showing us what darkness looks like and why it's here so we learn from it. And then in verses 11 through 22, we learn that in the darkness a choice has to be made. Are you going to walk in the way of this world? Or are you going to walk in the way of God? When you face the darkness, there are a lot of things that come to you and say, well, I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to say this, and I need to fight this way, and I need to do this. And let me tell you something, our ways are not God's ways. And so we have to learn that we don't follow the ways of this world when we face darkness. When we face darkness, we do it differently. We follow the way of God. And again, you can find all that in verses 11 11 through 22. But then... Today, we're getting into chapter 9, and the very last step, this is the third uh, lesson I preached on this. I didn't expect it to take three sermons to get through this, but nevertheless, it did. Here we are. So, um, chapter 9 of Isaiah, we're going to be learning that in the darkness, we look to the light. Again, God does not leave us without hope in the darkness. God does not leave us without encouragement. As Christians, God shows us that the darkness is not going to be forever. As He said in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, the world is going to look to the earth in the darkness. y'all see that? The world is going to look to the earth in the darkness. We, we think that when we're in darkness, if we had just a little bit more money coming in, that that would fix it, don't we? We think that um, if we're in a, in a failing marriage, if our husband would just do right or our wife would just do right, if they would just make changes, then that would just fix it. We think that if, um, we, we, think that if we are facing trouble with our children, that if, um, if our children would just, would just turn around and do right, that that's going to fix the darkness. And what we need to understand is that Those are not necessarily things that are going to fix anything. Will it temporarily solve some of our problems? Well, yeah. Yeah, if my boss gives me a raise, that's going to temporarily help me a little bit, ain't it? Come on, somebody amen me. 
But is it, it going to fix all my darkness? No. Darkness comes and darkness is going to be in, in our lives no matter whether you get a raise at work or not. So in verse 22 he says, they look to the earth, but what do they find? All they find is more distress. All they find is more darkness. And if you are trying to fix your darkness by looking at worldly solutions, can I just go ahead and tell you, all you're going to find is more distress, more darkness. So many people in depression and so many other things, they turn to drugs or alcohol and so many different things. Can, can any of you in here tell me, has any of that ever fixed anything? Now, can it make you feel better for a little while? Maybe. I'm not going to say it can't. But does it fix anything? No, the only thing it does is lead to more distress and more darkness. And not only that, he goes on in verse 22, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The truth of the matter is, the longer you look to the world in your darkness, the longer you try to respond to your darkness by looking for worldly solutions, it is going to lead to deeper and thicker darkness more and more and more. And it is a rabbit's hole that you never get to the end of. And so we need to see how do we respond. And so look what he does in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 1. I love the first word of that. But, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In other words, it is not going to always be darkness. It is not always going to be gloom. Now the ones that look to the earth, yes. All they're going is to darker and darker and darker places. But... To those who are in anguish that don't look to the earth, they are not always going to be in gloom. They are not always going to be in darkness. Now again, I keep going back to this verse, but what did Jesus say? In this world, you will have tribulation. And He was talking to His disciples. So yes, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have trouble in this world, but in the midst of your trouble, what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer. Some translations say, take heart. In other words, don't lose hope in your heart. Don't give up all your encouragement. Don't get down in the dumps as if there is no hope and there is only gloom and there is only darkness. No, there is not only gloom and there is not only darkness. There is hope. There is hope. And in that hope we can take heart. And in that hope we can be of good cheer. Look what he says again in chapter 9 verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And then he says, In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so what you need to see here is this. If you could see a map right now, and I wish I had got one for you, but I didn't think about it. If you could see a map right now, what you would see is that Naphtali, or however you pronounce that, and Zebulun were basically a mountainous range that was just, I think, east, if I got my direction right, of the Sea of Galilee. So picture this. You've got Galilee, the Sea of Galilee here. Then you've got these mountain ranges of of, um, of Naphtali and um, whatever the other one was. Zebulun. Yeah. And then what happened is they were the further, no they, were the, they were the provinces that were uh, furthest north in Israel. And you remember what I said about a few weeks ago about the enemies coming down from the north? 
they were going to be the first ones to experience darkness. They were going to be the first ones, the first land to be brought into contempt. They were known as the Galilee of the nations. They were the way of the sea because the Sea of Galilee is right here. They were the land beyond the Jordan because from the Sea of Galilee comes the Jordan River that flows down to the Dead Sea and it ends right there. But all this land that he's talking about are the first places to experience the darkness that comes into this world at this present time. Alright? And so what he's saying here is this. In the former times, God brought into contempt these places that are experiencing darkness to a degree that not many other people are experiencing. As a matter of fact, once Assyria comes in and conquers these provinces and conquers the nation of Israel, they then come back in and they mix them up with all types of other types of people so that they have all types of worship and religious practices. They have all types of um, uh, people that sacrifice their children to other gods. They're experiencing darkness in a degree like they've never seen it before. But what he's saying is that they are not going to be in gloom and darkness forever. As a matter of fact, God is going to shine a light of hope for them and they are going to be the first ones to experience the hope and the encouragement of God in the midst of their darkness. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter... Um, Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that He would be called a Nazarene. Nazareth was just south of Naphtali and Zebulun. And so basically, here's what God did. God put the Lord Savior Jesus Christ in this Galilee of the nations, the Galilee of the Gentiles. And the reason it's called that is because it's not just Jews now. God wiped this place out and now it's Jews and all types of Gentiles in this area. And the first place God shines the light is in the middle of Nazareth, right here in this Galilee of the nations. And let me show you where we see that Jesus fulfilled this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 13-17, through 17. look at this. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of where? Zebulun and Naphtali. Well, why did he do that? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Alright, what did Isaiah pr prophesy? The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, remember they're right beside the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan, because the Jordan comes down from the Sea of Galilee, so this, he's talking about the same land, and it is the Galilee of the Gentiles. Why is it the Galilee of the Gentiles? Because it's not just Jews that live here, but this is Galilee where Gentiles, where all nations of the world live. And he says, the people dwelling in what? Darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so what you see in this is that Jesus comes on to the scene and He shines the light in this darkness that even though you are experiencing deep darkness, not just regular darkness, deep darkness, gloom of anguish, it is not always going to be this way 
if you trust in Me and turn to the Lord Jesus. That's why He says next, from that time Jesus began to preach. What is our hope? How do we know that we are not going to experience darkness forever? If we follow His Gospel. What is His Gospel? Turn around. Repent. What do we repent from? Our refusal to submit to the authority of God. And instead, we bow our knee to Him. And we say, Jesus, You are Lord. And I surrender my life to Your Lordship. I learn from You. I follow You. I trust in You. And as we see that evidence in our life, we know that we are going to be part of His what? Because He is a King. And if we are part of His kingdom, you are not going to experience darkness forever. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And so what you see here is that Jesus fulfills this Scripture that the darkest places in all of the world, if they will follow His Gospel, if they will trust in His Lordship, if they will bow the knee and surrender to Him, then there will be no gloom of anguish for them. It will not be darkness forever. And that is the reason why in this world's trouble, we can be of good cheer. We can have hope. We can have encouragement. Not, not saying that we don't hurt for the trouble. Not saying that we're not... But the difference is this. When I'm in my trouble and the world is in its trouble, I know this trouble is not going to last forever. What does psalmist say? Weeping may endure for how long? But what comes in the morning? Joy is coming in the morning. How do I know joy is coming in the morning? Well, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5. And look at the way that John introduces his Gospel here. The light, and he's talking about Jesus here, does what? Shines in the darkness. And guess what? When the light shined in this darkness, the darkness threw everything it had at him to try to overcome it. But guess what? The darkness has not overcome it. How do I know that the darkness is not going to last forever? How do I know that I can look to the light in my darkness and I can be full of hope and I can be full of encouragement? How do I know that, Pastor? Well, let me tell you something. When I look at Jesus and I see the life He lived and I see what He did, I see that darkness tried to throw everything it had at Him. Darkness tried to throw hunger, homelessness, thirstness, the darkness tried to throw sickness. Darkness tried to throw disease. Darkness tried to throw death. Darkness threw everything it had at the light that was shining in it, trying to overcome it. But you want to know why the Bible uses these symbols of light and darkness? Because no matter how hard darkness tries, can it do anything with the light? If you walk in the room and it's dark and you turn the light on, what happens to the darkness? It's gone. It cannot exist in the same place. And so when the light, when the Bible tells us that yes, it compares the troubles of this world, it compares the sorrows and the hurts that we go through to darkness, it's because it indeed is darkness. But let me tell you the good news. The light has shined in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. And because of that, we can look to the light and we can trust and we can believe that even though weeping may endure for the night, 
Joy is coming in the morning, guys. And again, you can't avoid darkness. If you're not weeping today, give it time. Give it time. We live in a world that sometimes our children die. Preacher, shut up. I wish I could. I wish I could. I wish I could stand up here and tell you, you know, I've learned one of the things that I have learned over the last year probably. I do not walk into hospital rooms and try to convince people that they're going to be okay anymore. Now that used to be my goal. My goal used to walk in here and to encourage you and to lift you up and to say, just keep, keep the faith. God's going to heal you and it's going to be okay. But you know what I've learned? It's not always okay. God doesn't always deliver in this life. I've learned that. And I have learned that my hope is not in this life and in what God does or doesn't do here. My hope is that in the midst of darkness, I know that it's not going to be dark always. And now my job is to go in there and help these people understand that can God heal you? Yes, He can. Absolutely. Will God heal you? Maybe. Maybe not. But one thing I know for certain, no matter what darkness you endure, no matter what trouble and tribulation you deal with in this world, if you have trusted in the light, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And one day, it will not be dark forever. One day, the gloom and the anguish will leave. And guys, we have to know that. We have to believe that. Can you imagine what kind of world it would be if we didn't believe that? God, help me that I had to face this world in all the darkness that it throws at us and I honestly had to believe that there was no hope. That it was just always going to be dark. But no, I know that it's not always going to be gloom and so I look to the light. Keep going with me in verse 2 of chapter 9. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness have seen a great light. And on them, this light has shone. Why is God using this example? Because these were the darkest places of Israel. Nobody experienced darkness like these guys did. They were the first ones that received the fullness of God's wrath when the Assyrian Empire came in and wiped them out and completely destroyed their communities, and completely tore apart their women, their children, their goods, their spoils. This was a dark time. And yet, the people that dwelled in deepest darkness, they have seen the light. And no matter how deep your darkness is, I hope you all staying with me, no matter how deep your darkness is, no matter what you have to endure in this life, he promises the light has shone in that darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, keep going with me in verse 3. Next, here's the next thing that the light does for us. So in uh, verse 3, we see that you have multiplied the nation. So the first thing we see is that when we look to the light, what do we see? Well, when you're looking to the light, we see that the kingdom is not just going to be continually reduced. The kingdom is going to be multiplied. See, as long as you're looking at the world and the earth, all you see is reduction. All you see is things going away. All you see is people leaving. All you see is things as you get older, health fails, everything fails, everything goes away eventually, right? 
And yet, what does He say here? When we look to the light in our darkness, what do I see? I see that we're not reducing in number, we're multiplying in number. I see that we're not growing less in the kingdom. The kingdom is growing more and more and more. And for Israel, this was important. Because at this time, Israel is fixing to see their nation go down to a tenth, right? 90% of all of it except Judah is going to be destroyed. Only 10% of Judah is going to be left after this darkness flows through this land. They only see reduction. And yet, Isaiah says, look to the light. Because if you look to the light, what you're going to see is this. The kingdom is not reducing. The kingdom is multiplying. The kingdom is getting bigger. And then notice what he says next. In um, verse 3, you have increased its joy. You turn sadness into joy. So when we look to the world, what did Isaiah 8.22 say? They look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, gloom of anguish. But in verse 3, if we look to the light, he says, you increase its joy. So on the one hand, if all you're doing is looking at the world, I'm promising you, if all you're doing is looking to the world for your solutions to darkness, all you're doing is experiencing more and more darkness. But if you look to the light, He increases your joy. Joy comes out of sadness because of what you know, because of what you believe, because of what you understand, because you know the kingdom is multiplying. I love what... Let me go back to this. Isaiah 54 verse 1 through 3. Notice what Isaiah told Israel. Sing, O barren one. You know why he called them barren? Because they weren't producing any more children. The kingdom was reducing. The kingdom was not increasing. It was going down. And he looks at them and he says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. What is Isaiah telling to them there? The kingdom is going to multiply. The kingdom is going to get bigger and bigger. Your family is going to get bigger and bigger. Let me tell you something. In the church, you ought to experience family like you haven't experienced it anywhere in the world. Now granted, do we fail at that a lot of times? Yes, but we get it right sometimes too. And I'm going to tell you something. You are to see in the family of God that we're not decreasing, we're increasing. All I'm gaining is more and more family day after day after day. Look at uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 20 through 21. And Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What does Paul understand about the light that is shining? It's going out into all the world. 
And all it's doing is multiplying more and more and more. And then he turns sadness into joy. He, he, he believes the Word of God. He looks at the light as proof that your darkness will turn into joy. And notice in verse 3 what this joy is like. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. He wants you to understand that when the crops have all come in um, and things are good at home, all the bills are paid. And not only are they paid, but you've got stuff stored up for months and years to come. How's that feel? That feels pretty good, right? On the other hand, how does it feel whenever you ain't even got the money to pay? Not only do you not have the money to pay this year's, this month's light bill, but last year's is overdue, or last month's is overdue. And so, I don't have any harvest, I don't have anything coming in, and he wants you to understand the kind of joy that he's talking about when you look to the light you're going to have is joy like it's been a great harvest and you are well prepared for the future. And then go on what he says next. He says, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You know how glad they were whenever they were able to divide the spoil of a city that God had allowed them to conquer? Let me ask you this. If your boss came in tomorrow and said, you know what, you've been doing a great job. Here's a $50,000 bonus. How's that make you feel? Here's a $50,000 bonus. That's pretty happy, right? I see some of y'all out here, your teeth are just glowing. <laughs> Makes you happy. And so what he's saying right here is this, the kind of joy that he's talking about us experiencing when we look to the light is joy that understands and believes that one day great harvest is coming. One day great spoil is coming and you are going to experience joy like no other. And then in verse 4, we see that God breaks our oppression. Notice the first word of verse 4 is for. This tells us the reason why we experience this joy. The reason why we are going to multiply as a nation. In verse um, verse 4 he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So I want you to think about that for just a second. First off, the yoke of his burden. Anybody, any of y'all old farmers in here remember what a yoke is? A yoke. You put it, yeah, y'all tapping on old people's shoulders. I see that. You put this wooden yoke around their neck. And it was something that actually... It most time held two animals together so that they were under the same bondage going the same direction. Sometimes it was just one, but it was so that a master of some kind could control them and they could only go whichever way the yoke would allow them to go. And so he breaks this yoke. So next he says he breaks the staff for his shoulder. Now this could have been the staff that they used to beat them with as slaves like back in Egypt. I don't think that's right because he goes on next and says the rod of his oppressor. And I believe that's where he's talking about beating them with a stick. But I believe this one he's talking about where they would bear the burden of a load on a stick, a staff on their shoulder. The point is this. You're going to experience joy like no other because oppression is going to be no more. You're not going to experience oppression from a master, but instead you now have a servant master. You, still, you have one now that came and washed your feet. 
You have one now that came and gave His life for you. You have one now that the Apostle Paul said, if He will give you His Son, how will He not freely give you all things? And so you don't have a master anymore, a sinful master that that beats you to go in a certain direction. And how many of you have experienced sin in your life that it's felt like an oppressive master? That it's felt like I had this yoke on me that I always have to go this direction. And he says that he's going to break that yoke. He is going to break the staff. He's going to break the rod. And oppression is going to be broken. And then he compares it to the way that he did it on the day of Midian. And you can read about this story in Judges chapter 7. This story is about a guy named Gideon. And Gideon was a judge of the Israelites during this time. And God was calling Gideon to rescue his people from the Midianites. The Midianites were very oppressive people and they had came in and they had turned Israel's Israel's people into slaves. And, And it was a very dark time for Israel. And God wanted wanted Gideon to deliver his children from the Midian oppression. And so God tells Gideon, I want you to get you an army together, and I want you to go and conquer these Midianites. Now the problem was this. The Midianites had an army of 130,000 very valiant men. Gideon, on the other hand, had 30,000. Now at first Gideon thinks, okay, let's do this, because three to one is not that bad of odds. At least maybe we've got a chance. But then God tells Gideon, He says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of some of these. And He tells him something to do to get rid of them. And God brings the army down to 10,000. So He goes from 30,000 to 10,000. right, And so now we're at what, 10 to 1 odds? Gideon's like, "I, I don't know about this. And God said, no, Gideon, you still got too many. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the creek and do this, and if the men do this, then send them home. And ultimately what happened was God brought the army down to 300. 300 men. And God looks at Gideon and He says, I think that'll be enough. And Gideon takes those 300 men, and by the power of God, he goes and overthrows the Midianites and delivers Israel from all bondage. Now why did God do that? Because how many of you know that if Gideon had have went with 30,000 men, Gideon and that army could have said, we broke the oppressor. We broke the yoke. We broke the staff that was on the shoulder. And God said, no, you're not going to boast in what I'm going to deliver you from, so take it down to, to a few more, a few less. He said, okay, we got 10,000, God. Is this going to be okay? God said, no, because Gideon with 10,000, you can still take credit for this. And I'm not going to let you take my glory. And God says, let's take it on down to 300. And with 300 men, God delivers Israel from the Midianites. Now why am I saying that that's the example He's using? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, He tells us that it is by grace that you are saved. Through faith. And this is what? This is not of your own doing. In other words, He has delivered you from the yoke of sin, the oppression of sin, the staff of sin. He has opened your eyes to see God's way and now you can actually make the decision. Before you were, before you were a Christian, you only had one choice in your life and that's just to follow your heart. You did whatever was right in your own eyes. 
whatever culture had taught you and your parents had taught you that this is right and this is wrong, but now that you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, God has opened your eyes and He has now given you the power to learn from Him and to become a new creation and follow Him. How did that happen? By grace. What is grace? Undeserved mercy. You didn't deserve it. God just did it for you. How did He do it for me? Through faith. God said, if you will confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that darkness could not overcome it. If you do this, I will save you. Why does God do it that way? Well, notice what He says next. First off, it's the gift of God. Why is it a gift? Not, and why is it not a result of our works? So that what? You will never be able to stand before anyone in heaven and say, I broke the yoke. I broke the yoke of my sin. I broke my oppression. I broke the staff of the enemy. I broke his rod that he beat me with. Nope. The only thing you'll ever be able to say is, it was God's gift and I am His what? I'm just His workmanship. I'm His creation. I'm His building. I'm His workmanship that He created in Christ Jesus for good works, to walk in His way, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so what we see in that is that God delivers us from our yoke, from our oppression, from the, the slavery of sin. And why does He do that? Well, He does it so that we can't boast. He does it just like He did it on the day of Midian. He brings us down to nothing so that none of us will ever be able to say, I saved myself from sin. No, you didn't. If it was up to you, you would have been eternally damned forever. God opened your eyes. God saved you. God did it. By grace, through faith, God created you in Jesus Christ. And I go back to Isaiah chapter 9 again, and look with me at verse, um, four, uh, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior... And again, we're talking about the joy that we experience. So why do we experience joy like a great harvest and joy like a great spool? Because He removes the oppression. And you know, that's going to be one of the greatest things about heaven to me. I, um, I experience freedom to a certain degree now because I have the power to make a choice of whether I want to follow my sin or whether I want to follow my King and my Savior. Y'all understand that? Now, do we always make the choice to follow our King and our Savior? Why? Because we're still battling with the flesh, right? And the Bible teaches that. But one of the joys of heaven to me, one of the things I look forward to the most is that on that day, I will not fight with sin anymore. I will not have flesh. I will not have a, a, a sinful heart. I will not have a sinful mind. I will be delivered completely from the oppression that sin held on me. And so I look to that light with joy that one day I'm not going to experience that anymore. And then in verse 5, he says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood would be burned as fuel for the fire. And basically, we're going to experience peace like never before. There will be no more war in this time. 
When the darkness is lifted, when the gloom is gone, we're looking to that time when we're going to be full of joy, when the kingdom is going to be multiplied, and we're going to see peace like we have never experienced peace before in our lives. And then notice what he says next in verse 6. Because we've got to ask the question, God, how are you going to do this? Right? God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to give us this kind of joy? How are you going to multiply the kingdom? How are you going to lift the darkness? How are you going to remove the gloom and the anguish? What are you going to give us to look at so that we can know that what you're saying is true? Well, look at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Why are we going to experience peace? Why are we going to have great harvest? Why are we going to um, have joy that increases? And, and, and why are we going to uh, have no more darkness anymore? Because He's the King. He's the King. And not only is He the King, He's the King of kings. And His name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor. It's talking about His wisdom here. You know, right now, whenever... Whenever you go through a struggle in your life and you need some advice, a lot of you turn to your mom. Some of you turn to your dad. Some of you turn to a best friend. There's somebody in your life that you consider to be a wise person and you're going to call that person up and ask for advice, right? I want to tell you something. You ain't never seen a counselor like this counselor. Your king is going to be a wonderful counselor. Not only that, but he's going to be strong. Strong. Look what else he's going to be known as. He's going to be called Mighty God. There's going to be nothing that he cannot do. No enemy that he cannot defeat. And then not only that, he's going to be Everlasting Father. Fathers are protectors, right? Fathers are providers. There is going to be nothing that you will not be protected from. There is going to be nothing that you will need or there's not going to be anything that you'll have want of. How many of you know that if it's good for my son, I want to give him everything he wants? Don't y'all? If it's good for my kids and I can do it, I want to give them everything they want. Do you think I'm a better father than God is? Not even close. He says he is going to be an everlasting father and he is going to be a prince of peace. He's going to be the one that that gives peace everywhere. How is He going to do that in verse 7? Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I want to tell you something this morning. This is going to come to pass. This is going to happen. And so in closing, I say this to you. How do we respond to darkness? Well, first and foremost, we look to the written Word. What are we going to find in the written Word? We're going to find reasons for the darkness to help us see it. We're going to find direction in the darkness to help us make the right choice and make the right decision in which way we need to go. We're going to find wisdom in the written Word. We're going to find um, provision in the written Word. We're going to find uh, strength in the written Word. And then he says here, when that time comes, you look to the light. And you keep looking to the encouragement that you find from the written Word and the light. That there is coming a day 
Church, listen to me, guys. I'm not just preaching this as a fairy tale. There is coming a day when the darkness is going to be turned to light. Anybody in here experienced enough darkness that you can't wait for that day? Let me tell you something. If anybody ought to be able to pray, Lord, come quickly, it ought to be you and I. We ought to be on our knees at night saying, Lord, I cannot wait for that day when we don't experience the darknesses of this world anymore. I cannot wait for the day when the anguish of gloom is completely lifted and I know that you are going to do it. I know you're going to do it. How do I know He's going to do it? Because unto us a child was given. Unto us a son was born. And the government of the world rests on His shoulders. And He is the King of all kings. And the darkness threw everything it could at Him. And He proved over and over and over again that the darkness could not extinguish the light. It could not overcome it. And I believe with all my heart when I look to Jesus and I keep trusting in Jesus and I keep believing His promise that when He comes again, the darkness will be no more. And so if you don't have any hope in this darkness, look to the light. Look to the light. Believe it. Trust it. Hope in it. And I promise you, you will find encouragement. You will be able to take heart in the midst of whatever it is that you face in this world. And you need to know this now. Some of you are already in the darkness. Some of you are not experiencing yet. Some of you are in a time of, of, uh, of mercy, of grace in your life. Enjoy it. Be thankful for it. But when the darkness does come, where are you going to turn? What are you going to do? And if you don't learn this now, I feel sorry for you when it comes.